Hello, you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Uh, It's so good to be able to see all of you who are here with us in person, and it's so good to see those of you who are with us online. Welcome. Uh, Whether this is your very first time with us, whether you've been with us for years, uh, just if you're first time with us, welcome. If you've been with us for a long time, welcome back. Uh, We're so grateful to spend this time with you today. If we've not met yet, my name is JP. I'm one of the pastors here, and would love an opportunity to connect with you at some point after the service. Now, as we just heard, we are going, uh, concluding our series of the five thresholds today. Um, But before we unpack what that looks like, um, last week, if you were here with us, real quick, if you were here with us last week, can you give a show of hands? This is not like, there's there's no shame. I'm just wanting to figure out. Put your hands down. If you were here last week and you've been trying or you've wondered what movie I was talking about during the end of it, can you raise your hand? Okay, so I've gotten people like, what movie was it? What movie was it? You know, and I'm like, well, it was obviously Toy Story 4. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that. Um, It was uh, The Matrix Revolutions. And so what's funny about it is um, I just realized I'm I'm thinking about movies a lot more recently. Uh, Recently, this past week, um, I think it was on HBO, Jurassic Park came on, which... Uh, is like my childhood. I shared earlier in the year how we went to that for my ninth birthday party, which was probably uh, me um, thinking I was older than I was something I was ready for. And so uh, there's a scene that I want to share from the from one of the early parts of it. Again, I, I've come to the conclusion that if a movie's coming up on like 30 years old, that it's okay to talk about it, right? So uh, there's a scene where the power goes out, and there's the two Jeeps that are right in front of the Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock. Do you guys have a familiarity of what I'm talking about? So in this scene, the power goes out, and there's a time in which uh, they start to see, like, the cable snapping on the electrified fence because the fence had been shut off because some guy wanted to make lots of money and sell things. Anyways, money, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? So... And what ends up happening is they end up um, seeing there's like a goat there. The goat gets, you know, eaten and the, la- the lamb shank goes on top of the car of these two kids and the lawyer. And once that happens, or right around that time, the lawyer runs out and tries to hide in like this like makeshift restroom over here. And the two kids are in there, the brother and sister. And if you've seen the movie, perhaps you remember what she says in that. In that moment, she, she looks just shocked and goes, he left us. He left us. And so then all, you know, terror ensues for a while. Then one of the main character, Dr. Grant, he comes in. He's, he's the paleontologist who's come to sign off on it. He comes in and Lexi, the girl, she keeps saying, he left us. He left us. And if you remember, what does he say back? He says, that's not what I'm going to do. And it's this moment of just this great calm for her because she's terrified, scared, obviously. And in the beginning of the movie, he hates kids. By the end, they're like sitting next to him on the plane and, you know, he's, he's all good with it. Um, here's why I bring it up. We've been talking over the past several weeks about the five thresholds. The five thresholds are these, this idea that came from this book called I Once Was Lost by Don Everts and Doug Shop. Uh, InterVarsity Press has been so great with us to let us use some of their content, to let us use their graphics package and things like that. Uh, very indebted to them. And what they're talking about in this section is that we've talked about how 
This book was an interview of thousands of people and how they came from a place of not caring at all about Jesus to becoming a fully devoted follower of him. And on this journey, although their stories were not the same, there were similar stages or thresholds that all of them had to go through. So very briefly, because this is week uh, eight of an of a eight-week series, so if you are interested in this, uh, you could go back and you could watch it on our podcast, or listen to it on our podcast, or, um, or watch it online. But what you do is, the first threshold is that someone who doesn't know Jesus just needs to learn to trust a Christian, just going from distrust to trust. Number two... Someone needs to go from kind of being not not caring to apathetic to being curious. Number three, someone who's close to change. Doesn't doesn't matter if they're curious. They don't want God to do anything to change anything in their lives. To go from being close to change to being open to change. Number four is someone who's wandering to someone who's genuinely seeking who Jesus is. Number five is someone who follows him by entering into the kingdom. And so we have these five thresholds that... People walk through at different parts, and, and like we talked about last week, this is a, it's not usually a one-for-one, one, okay, now I'm here, and now I'm here, and now I'm here. It's not a perfect progression. It's a discernment tool that sometimes we go forward, we do starts and stops, we go backwards, we jump forward, and so it's not like, it's not a perfect science, but it helps us to ascertain or discern where those we know and love most are in regards to knowing and loving Christ. And so today... As we close out our series, what we're going to talk about is how important it is for us, for those of us who have prayed for people to come to know Jesus, people who have walked through different thresholds with them, and people who are trying to see what we can do to help them in living in the kingdom of God. What does it look like for us to go beyond just the five thresholds? What does it look like for us to walk forward with them in their new life? And what does it look like for us to not leave them in this moment that could be difficult, could be a big change in their lives, that they wouldn't say he or she left us. And if they felt like they did, then we would say, but that's not what we're going to do. We're going to stay with you throughout this journey. Will you pray with me as we start this sermon together? Father, I thank you so much for who you are, Lord, and I pray that, um, that each person who hears my voice Uh, whether here in person, watching online live, listening later, God, that each person who hears my voice knows how deeply loved they are by you. And if they learn nothing else today, God, I pray that a moment would reveal your love for them, whether it's through the songs we just sang or we're going to sing at the end, whether it's through this time in your word, whether that's through the the kindness and warmth uh, of someone here at the church um, or someone online connecting with them. God, I pray in some way you would reveal yourself to each and every one of us so that each and every one of us would be one step closer to you when we leave than we were when we first started service today. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. But before we do that, I want to read a quotation. And it's, it's very similar to the idea that we shared from Jurassic Park. But um, it's also one of those that uh, if you've ever gone uh, to the gym and worked out and you are doing some sort of weights and there's someone that's supposed to help you out with that who's right behind you to be ready for it. What, what's that called? A spotter, right? Yeah, absolutely. So someone who's spotting you, that if you're struggling, they can either provide a little, a little help or they can, um, you know, so they can either provide a little help or just encouragement. Uh, that, 
lifting weights never really worked for me. Um, one, lack of muscle structure. But two, because just the idea of, you know, if someone's like, you could do it, like you got this. I'm like, nah, I'd rather you not yell at me, you know. And so I didn't get motivated the same way that many of you do. So that's not knocking you. It's just acknowledging my own faults. And so this idea of recognizing that that spotter is vitally important, right? Why? Because if there's too much weight or if the muscles start to give out, and all of a sudden you start to, to lose that momentum, if you don't have a spotter, that can create great injury. If you have a spotter who says they will help you and gets distracted, that can create great injury. If there's a spotter who says they'll spot you and then walks off in order to get a, a, glass of wa- or a cup of water or to do their own reps, that could cause great injury. What we're talking about here is, is this, on the screen, I want to read this quotation. Once your friend becomes a believer. It's not time to breathe a sigh of relief and go on vacation. We must not abandon our friends once they are across the line. It's recognizing that if we, if we were to do this, and, and I, want, I want to be really clear here, um, there are times in this sermon where, where if you, wherever you are on that journey uh, with your walk with God, and maybe you're not walking with God, maybe you're interested, maybe you're curious, wherever you are on that threshold um, or on that journey, there are going to be times where I'm going to speak to some of my friends who already have given their lives to Jesus. And we're going to let you in on a little bit of the conversation that we have um, about what it looks like for us to reach out to people we know and love most in order to know and love Christ. So if you've been invited here today or if you're watching online through the link or somehow got connected today by someone, it's because they care about you. And we are so thankful. We honor you for spending time with us today. And so I'm going to take a couple moments, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more uh, to you as well, but come and join our family discussion today as we talk about this idea of, friends, if we know and love Jesus, and we've walked with, we prayed for, we've walked through this dynamic of someone coming to know the Lord, the absolute worst thing we could do is to leave them and abandon them. The worst thing we can do is to say, oh, I'm invested in you and I care about you. And then they say, oh, I love Jesus. You say, awesome. Great. And I'm going to go about my, the rest of my life. Or I'm going to go about my normal work. I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to say I'm here for you. And I'm not. Why? Because if they've started that relationship with Jesus because they've learned to trust you. And the moment that they come to follow Jesus, we break that trust. What's that going to do to their journey with God? How could that potentially negatively impact their walk with God? They could say, see, that person only cared about me so I could be some notch on their evangelism belt. Friends, you ever know when you're just a project to somebody? You know, when someone calls me to try to sell me on stuff, well, right now I ignore them because I've caller ID, but before it's like, hey, I want to help you. I'm like, you don't even know me, you know? They're like, you're a project that they're trying to sell a product to. And we automatically know when we're a project, uh, excuse me, a project, because we recognize you don't actually, you don't, you don't care about where I am. You, you just want to get me to a result that you desire so that you can either make more money in the case of sales or so you can look good or so you can feel, feel good about yourself in regards to sharing our faith. So when people know or feel like they are a project, they will leave very quickly. And that's going to break trust in a very meaningful way. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to remember that there are 
times in our lives when we've come to know Jesus. And if we were to look back at those times, Hebrews 13, 7, it's not on the screen, but it talks about to, to consider the ways of your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their ways and imitate their faith. Look at the way they've lived. Friends, if you were to think about those who helped introduce you to Christ and to think about how they lived and imitated how they lived, I wonder how much of an impact it would have to say, I want to keep living like that now to have an impact on someone else. Or maybe it's just a recognition that God has put people in your path at just the right time for just the right reason, as only he can. So as we're in Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at a section right after Saul, who will later become Paul, who wrote uh, much of the New Testament. But before he was, his name was changed to Paul, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul had given, he had had this incredible experience on the road to Damascus in which he's walking to Damascus to, with, with permission to persecute Christians. And then he's struck blind and he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And he ends up surrendering his life to Jesus in this dramatic moment. And the beginning of Acts 9 can, tells that story and then talks about how he goes and for three days he could not see. And this is where we see that Paul needed someone to help walk him through this journey. He needed someone to walk alongside him. So God provided Ananias for the first part of the journey. And then we'll see later on that he provides Barnabas for the second part. So we're going to start... Uh, we're going to start here in verse uh, 10 of Acts chapter 9. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Let's stop there for a moment. Um, if you have familiarity with the book of Acts, uh, there are three different men who are named Ananias. And so it's very similar to the Gospels where there's a lot of Marys, uh, there's several Johns, um, and we have a lot of, a few Ananiases here. There's the first Ananias who from Acts chapter 5, he and his wife lied to the church um, about s selling their house and giving everything to the church. And so he was a bad example. Then in Acts 22-23, there's a high priest named Ananias who was cruel and harsh to Christians, so he's a bad example. But in the middle of those two is this Ananias who was a faithful servant of the Lord and who faced the fear of meeting Saul. Why? Because as verse 13 says on the screen, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So this is all backstory, just getting us to the point where Saul of Tarsus needed someone to help him walk through the first stage of this journey. He's literally walking around blind in his new walk with Jesus, and he's, he needs a guide. And Ananias faces someone that he knows was there to persecute those who follow Jesus. And yet, when he cries out to the Lord, says, Lord, I've heard about this man, and when uh, the Lord says, go, Ananias is obedient. 
we may know people who are following Jesus or, or excuse me, who are on that journey and they say, go share with them. And we say, but Lord, we're scared because of this, this, and this. We don't know how it's going to impact that. We don't, we don't know what this is going to look like. We don't know how. But if the Lord says go, the story of Ananias amongst many in the Bible show us that when he says go, we go and we're obedient no matter what fears we're facing, no matter what struggle we're experiencing, no matter what difficulty may lie ahead. We know that if he's called us He comes us in before and behind. That we can't flee from his presence, that even in the heights or the depths, he's with us. In the light or the darkness, he is still there. Darkness is as light to him, as Psalm 139 talks about. So there's nowhere we could go when we are following Christ and we're following the voice of the Lord where he will not be present with us. Does that mean everything's going to be easy? No, of course not. In fact, as God says to Ananias, he's God's going to show Saul just how much he's going to suffer in order to be someone who's going to proclaim the gospel to kings and to the Gentiles. So following Christ, friends, if you're not on that journey yet or if you haven't surrendered your life to God and you want to live for him, I, I would be remiss to make it seem like it's a happy fairy tale at the end of the story. At the end, when, we, when we're in heaven forever with him, yes, there's joy everlasting and eternal glory with him. But on earth, it's not easy. You're not, a, you're not someone that is just a, a project we're trying to get across the line. You're, you matter deeply to our God. That every person who hears my voice is someone that God created and formed in their mother's womb. Every person that hears my voice is someone who Jesus died for. Every person who hears my voice is someone the Holy Spirit may be talking to draw one step closer towards being like Christ today. But sometimes Saul, he's walking around and he's blind. He needs a guide. He needs someone to come alongside him, and God calls Ananias. And so the book talks about three different phases of what it's like to mentor someone or to come alongside someone in the beginning of their journey. One of the things it talks about is to dedicate, if you've helped someone walk through this faith with Jesus, and now they're surrendering their lives to him, The book specifically says commit to them for a whole year, but specifically commit for the next eight weeks to help build the foundation for them to grow. The first thing that it says here as as, um, uh, mentoring new believers is to help your friends secure their decision for Christ. And what that means, it doesn't mean that if they prayed a prayer and they've surrendered their lives that, that they're not secure in their salvation. What it means is help them solidify what that means and what that looks like. Help them to know that wasn't, help them to walk through that so it's like, oh, I just had a a really, a nice emotional moment which God can use but then provide foundation for that as well. Here's how we see starting in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, The Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. See, this is the last we hear of Ananias in this section, this Ananias. And his very important role was just to let him know that God had spoken to Ananias about what Saul was going to do, 
to lay his hands on him to pray for healing and to help him to know what it even meant to be, to be baptized, to give him food, to baptize him, to help establish that this is a decision you've made and through this decision, you are now part of a new community, a new kingdom. You're no longer just Saul of Tarsus. You're going to be Paul, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And so it's recognizing right off the bat that we all have different roles when it comes to walking through this journey with people. That whereas Ananias just helped him to get established. Some of you are going to walk through with someone you know and love most to know and love Christ. And you're going to be able to come alongside them and say, for the next eight weeks, we are going to, I'm going to help you understand some of these things. We're going to wrestle through things together. We're going to establish what it looks like to follow God. And, and from there, we'll still have a close relationship, but I want you to know I'm spotting you right now. I want you to know that I'm not going to leave you. That's not what I'm going to do. So we're going to walk through this together. I gave my life to the Lord September 20th, 2003. And at the time, I was at a hotel in Glendora, California. Um, and the next day, um, I was going to be driving down for my sophomore year of college here at UC San Diego. So I was in Glendora that night. The next morning, I went to the only church I knew about in that area, went there, don't remember a thing the pastor said, but I know that I went back and, and prayed to, to receive Christ. And I knew that from then, I was going to be driving down you know, to La Jolla, and I needed to change everything. But I was pretty blind to what that looked like. I just knew I needed to be different. But I had never been to a Bible study, a, a Christian fellowship at a, at a campus. I would never gone to church kind of on my own volition, or, or I'd done it like once or twice before when I was just very in, early on seeking, but that was not a commitment that I had made. And so I was so blessed to find an on-campus fellowship of people who loved Jesus, and they walked alongside me. They helped me to learn a little bit. They would drive with me to go to church. We would, uh, one of the guys led a small Bible study of just three other uh, sophomores that um, me and two other sophomores, and we were able to unpack the word together. We was, I was able to be surrounded by people who I haven't talked to or spent time with them in a long time. But just like Ananias to Saul, they have a very special place in my heart because they helped give me guidance when I was walking around blind, not knowing what following Jesus looked like. I attended The Rock at San Diego, at the time I was at San Diego State, and joined a men's Bible study. At 19, the next youngest guy in that Bible study was probably 40. And I would go to the leader's house, his name was Pat Patterson, um, so it was easy for me to remember. Uh, and I would go to his house, and we would just talk about the message, talk about what God was doing. And I remember just soaking things up. I haven't talked to Pat in 18 years, but he has a special place in my life. Because he helped guide me early on. See, we don't need to know the rest of Ananias' life to know that God used him specifically for Saul. In fact, when Paul, again, Saul becoming Paul, when Paul gives his testimony later on in Acts 22, he specifically says that God had sent a man named Ananias, who was a devout believer, to help pray for him and to remove the scales from his eyes. Friends, you may be the Ananias to someone around you. 
You may walk through this journey, and you may just help them establish when they're walking around blind, saying, I'm a Christian now. What does that look like? All right, well, then here's what you do. Number two, we help to develop and establish kingdom habits for them in their walk. Help them to come alongside and say, what does it look like to follow a Christian? Does, does following a Christian only mean doing these things? No. But it's out of our relationship with God, we change who we are and we change what we do. And out of the overflow of the change God has poured into us, we then change our behavior, our actions, and what we think about things. So we're going to go through about five different habits very briefly. Five habits that we can help people establish very early on. The first one is to pray. Helping people pray. If you remember we were talking about a couple weeks ago, we talked about how when you get to stage four, threshold four, where you're seeking, or they're seeking, one of the things you could do is not just pray for them, still do that, but pray with them. Ask them if they would like to pray as well. Help them to learn and to be normalized with praying out loud or, or just knowing how to pray silently, but recognizing that if we want them to build a foundation on God in a relationship with him, then they have to learn how to talk to him. And, friends, we also need to be reminded, but we need to teach them that prayer isn't just talking. In the same way that any of your relationships that have any value to you, you don't just talk at them. You listen. It's a give and take. Prayer is not just talking. It's talking than listening to what God has to say in response. Number two, another habit we want to help instill is studying scripture. I shared that one of the guys just put a Bible study together with just a few of us and just said, hey, we're going to go through this, uh, just this different section. In fact, I still remember him asking, what do you think is the greatest chapter in the Bible? And my favorite chapter is Romans 8, which I just love all, all top to bottom. Um, but he talked about 1 Corinthians 15. And I remember specifically him saying 1 Corinthians 15, because I'm someone who, like, even though, like, I just, think, I just think I have the right answers. I'm like, it's Romans 8, you know? And he's like, it's 1 Corinthians 15. I'm like, debatable. But then we go through it, and as we're reading it, it talks about how if there, it talks about the resurrection. It says, if there's no resurrection, then our faith means nothing. If the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, then, that, then, we, then the foundation of our faith is off. And in fact, Paul says in that section, if that's true, then we ought to, Christians ought to be pitied more than any other. And so I'm like, oh, I could see why 1 Corinthians 15 is so vital. And that's something that I learned because I was studying scripture with someone who helped walk me on that journey. And then the men's Bible study I mentioned from the rock is studying scripture around other guys, knowing that I don't know what I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. Number three, not only do we pray and study scripture, but help them get connected to community. And so if this is someone that maybe is from your work and you say, okay, now you follow Jesus, maybe we could pray together um, during lunch. Maybe we could bring a Bible and we could talk through uh, something, maybe go through a proverb a day or something like that. And then we want to connect them to a greater community. For some of you, that means inviting them to your small group. For some of you, that means you're not in a small group. Maybe it means to, to start a group. Maybe it's a group of your neighbors, of other uh, coworkers, of other students in your class, or, or it's people here at church. It's like, hey, we just know people who want to find out more about Jesus. Let's start a group in order to be a safe place for them to ask good questions. Connecting people in community is so vital. 
Pastor Evan's going to talk about this in a couple of weeks because one of the struggles that many of us have is the propensity towards isolation. And so the only way to combat the isolation in which we are vulnerable, in which we can um, struggle and go through difficult times, is to be surrounded and connected in the community. One of the things that we talk about here is that we want to help people get plugged into the people, the community, and the purpose of the church. So connecting in community is an important habit to help them establish. Number four, telling their story. Do you know the people who are the best at sharing their faith with people who don't know Jesus? It's often the people who just surrendered their lives to him. A couple of reasons why. One, because their passion level for Jesus is at an all-time high. And they've been so changed and transformed by the love of God shown through Christ Jesus that they can't help but tell those around them. And it's overwhelming. In fact, that we see as Paul, in a moment, we'll see about how as he's going about his day, he says, right away, he goes and starts preaching in Damascus. He immediately starts living this out. In the same way, when people have just given their lives to Christ, it allows for them to be passionate, passionate about the, what God has done in their lives. Like the demoniac man we talked about a few weeks ago, he says, can I go with you? Jesus says, no, just go and tell the people around you how much the Lord has done for you. Next time Jesus comes to that area of the world, it's a capitalist, there are thousands ready to listen. Because one person had been transformed by Jesus who was passionate told their story. The other reason people are really good at sharing their story when they first become Christians is because they've just first become Christians and they have a group of people who don't know Jesus yet. Helping someone tell their story allows for their faith to be solidified and allows for them to have a great impact because those around them don't know Jesus yet. That one of the struggles that happens when we're in when we follow Jesus for a while is that all of a sudden our, our all of our friends, or so many of our friends, are Christians. And so we could be a light, but we're not like a light in a dark place. We're like a light in a Walmart that already has fluorescent lights. We could still help. We could still be a light. We could still be an example, of course. But when we're a light in a dark place, people can't help but notice. And when we share and tell our stories with those who don't know Jesus, it solidifies our faith. It allows us to learn that evangelism isn't a, um, it's not an option when it comes to following Christ. It's a command. And it allows us to recognize that Jesus uses us, not because we have all the right answers to every question, but because we know he is the answer to the most important question. So telling their story is the fourth one. And the fifth one is serving. Is This could be the kind of serving where it's, um, hey, I'm going to the, the, the Community Food Connection, which uh, is a, a ministry that, that helps with uh, providing meals here in Poway. Would you like to come with me? Maybe it's, hey, I go to the Ladle Fellowship a couple times a year. Our church goes down to downtown San Diego and we serve the homeless. Would you like to come with me? Hey, our church is looking for people to just be a friendly face that's greeting people. Would you like to come with me? Maybe you don't like to, to, to be out front with people, but you would, you would love and feel totally comfortable being behind a screen and being able to help out as an online host or to help out in the tech ministry. Would you like to come with me? See, there are ways for people to get plugged in to serving 
that solidify their faith. It helps them get connected to a bigger community of Christians. It helps them to get solidified and helps to be a, a, um, a habit that establishes in their walk. So before I go to the next slide, as I've been sharing about how we can walk alongside, I'm going to ask another question to, to those of us who know and follow Jesus already. If you're to look at that, can we go back to the next slide, the previous slide, please? If you're to look at that list, how many of, habits, how many of those habits are things that you are doing consistently? Are you praying consistently? Are you studying scripture consistently? Are you connected in community or do you just come every once in a while and, and show up? And we're glad you're here, but are you connected or just stopping by? Do you tell your story? And do you serve? These are questions, friends, that as we want as Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, if someone you know and love and want to know Jesus, if they were to imitate you, would they be doing all these five things naturally because that's what you do naturally? Or is this an opportunity for us to be challenged, convicted, um, encouraged to recognize there's some things I need to work on so that I can come alongside someone that we can't go somewhere, or we can't lead somewhere we haven't been already. Are you someone who's walking through and living these out so that others will follow you beyond the thresholds? Last point, as we have just a couple minutes left together, uh, we're going to go back to mentoring, the idea of mentoring new believers. So the first part, if we pull the slide up, the first part is that we help our friends secure their decision. Second is we help them to establish and develop kingdom habits. And again, this list is in the book. And the third one is helping them connect for, uh, and others, to others excuse me, for long-term care. You heard me mention that this was an eight-week, you know, they say for eight weeks, walk through this relationship and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to establish these, these um, habits. We're going to walk through this. And in time, I'm gonna, we're going to help you get connected to the larger church body. Why is that important? Well, it's important because we want people to know that it's not just one person who's walking, that they can turn to when they're struggling. What if that one person moves away? What if that one person goes through a difficult time? We need to have, surround ourselves with other brothers and sisters who can help hold us up, that we could carry one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. And I, can, I, I liken this to when I served at a restaurant or worked at a restaurant, they're the people who are the hosts, right? They welcome you in. They, they let you know, uh, you know, you can either grab a seat or um, they give, let you look at the menu. They want to make sure you're okay if you need anything. In fact, sometimes the host will be the one that will take you to your seat and they'll go ahead and get you your water, your soda, whatever it is, and say, okay, you know, now, uh, you know, so-and-so is going to come here and they're going to be your server. If there was no host or hostess in that time, then you would feel like, you know, where, who's, who's going to help me? What does it look like? The host is someone you don't spend a lot of time with. It's, it's, it's a minimal amount in comparison to the whole time at a restaurant, but it's a vitally important role to help someone to feel comfortable and to help someone get to the place where they will receive the long-term support they need. So we want to help people get plugged in to the church so they can have a long-term community. My friends that um, from my first year of faith, incredibly transformational year, and I don't talk to them, I haven't hung out with them in a long time, but they will always hold a special place in my heart because they hold a special place in my faith journey. 
You may think and say, how am I going to be able to commit all this time to all these people and to do all this stuff? It's, it's recognizing that God has called you to reach certain people. He's put people in your sphere of influence that are not in mine. And he's put people in mine that are not in yours. But it's recognizing that we want to, just, we want to come alongside them, help them understand what, what it looks like to follow Christ, help establish habits, and then also to help them see the, the community is a much bigger community. That Christendom, God's kingdom, is much bigger. I'm incredibly blessed to be part of a senior pastors group of pastors in Poway, um, uh, primarily in the North County here. And this past week, um, we have our monthly prayer meeting. This is actually a ministry, a group that Pastor Evan helped start uh, a couple decades ago, and, and I get to... Um, reap the benefits of, of his hard work, much like I've been able to reap the benefits of being a pastor to follow in his, uh, in his footsteps here. But it's one of those where we just got together and, you know, this has been a crazy season for all of us. And as pastors, we're able to share with one another what's that, what that's like. And one of the pastors just mentioned, why don't we just share, each of you share a little bit about your calling, but what it was like when you felt called to ministry. And there are probably about, um, I don't know, probably about 12 of us in the room and it was so encouraging and uplifting to hear how God had worked in other people's lives. One of them talked about how he was, uh, became a pastor locally. And his first week in this church of only 45 or 50 people on his first day, someone comes up to him and says, I've been, I've, I've been praying for you. He's like, I don't, you know, I don't know who you are. Like, I'm so, like, not in a mean way. Like, oh, that's great. Like, I don't, have we met? It's like, no, I was in Ireland and I saw you walking by several years ago. And I've been praying for you ever since because God told me to pray for you. And all of a sudden... He's like, so what are the chances that I walk into a church that he's now going to become the senior pastor of, and this woman he's never met has been praying for him for years? Another one was a priest who shared about how, he, he, this, is, this is literally how he starts off his, his calling testimony. He says, um, well, my family's from Iraq, and so uh, my family has been Christians ever since Paul converted the Chaldeans in 50 AD. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You could trace back where it was that Paul, you know, Paul, Paul, is the one that helped reach the people that you have now come from. I don't get that story when my people are from Guam. That's not an example of my, of my story. <laughs> but how beautiful is that? And so then you start to hear, well, you know, God gave me, you know, God gave this uh, family member a dream that helped me with that. That's part of my story. It, someone uh, shares about how, you know, I didn't want to do ministry, but God kept calling me. Someone says, oh, I want to have a, a preaching ministry, but I'm calling you to something. It's after seeing how God worked in the greater community, just within 12 pastors, within a 10-mile radius of where we are right now, I was so uplifted to be able to know that I'm part of a greater community. That the same God who was working a prayer partner from Ireland, the same God who orchestrated a lineage of faith back to the time of Paul, the same one who gave my dad a dream that I was unhappy at, my, at UCSD so that he would support me going to study ministry, the same God who does these things is the same God who knows, loves, and calls each and every one of you. And we could be encouraged and the pastor who led it talked about how, for some reason, I get the visual of roots 
and, and how important it is to be rooted. And, and I shared, because, you know, here's the bad thing about a group of pastors. We all have the best sermon illustration, and we all want to have the last word, which is me. So it's like, well, what I think it is. Um, but it's recognizing, I was like, it's interesting how when you, the roots go out and they tangle with other trees, it becomes stronger. And I was like, I love that that image is what you're sharing, because we all know one another now. And we've all had our roots and our calling and our faith in God make us stronger to come alongside one another. Because it's been a crazy season. It's still a crazy season. In fact, the fact that we think a season is specifically crazy shows us that it's, we always have difficult times. And so it's recognizing that Pastor Evan helped me to get connected into this, this group of pastors for long-term care people we can hold one another up and that's the same thing God can do for each and every one of you and here's how I'm going to briefly skim this for the sake of time but this is where uh let's see let's start let's go to the next slide please all right uh let's see okay so then this is um when Paul is heading over to Jerusalem and I'm going to jump down to uh let's see here Verse 26 on the screen. So when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And I'll stop there because not only did God provided an Ananias, someone who was there for a short term, right away to help Saul. But he connected him, he, God connected Saul with Barnabas, who was someone that they'd go on a missionary journey together. They even got in a huge argument over John Mark, and they separated for a while. The gospel was spread in a different way. And then by the end of Paul's life, he writes about how Barnabas is, is a blessing to him. And so Barnabas became someone that Paul was connected to for the rest of his life. Not that it was perfect, but they were connected for the rest of his life. Ananias was there in the moment. Barnabas was someone who was there for the long haul. God may be calling you to be there for someone in this moment, for the next eight weeks, the next year. He may be calling you to be someone who's there for the long haul. But the last thing that we want to do, friends, is someone who knows and loves Jesus is for them to feel like we left them. For them to feel like we're not spotting them, coming alongside them. It's for them to feel like they're walking around blind, hoping someone will notice, hoping that they're not just a project on our list, but they are a person who God loves. And friends, we have that honor to come alongside them in that season. And so... As we close today, and as we close this series, I just want to encourage you, the whole heart behind this series is that those we know and love, excuse me, we want those we know and love most to know and love Christ. To give us a tool to see where they might be, to pray for two specific people we've been asking you to pray for throughout this series for them to know and love Christ. To recognize that we're in it for the long haul. In the same way, we would want someone to be in it with us and to be committed to helping us when we're following Jesus. And for you to be encouraged and emboldened. Encouraged and emboldened to know that God knew you would be the best person to share Christ with those around you. 
Not your pastor, not your small group leader, not that pastor that you listen to um, from another church, not that worship leader who has that song that moves you powerfully. Those are all parts of God's kingdom. But when it comes to reaching those you know and love most, God knew you and your personality and your tendencies and your ability and your relationship and your experiences. He knew he had placed them in your life so that you can have an eternal impact. I hope that that's encouraging to you. I hope that that's not scary. Or maybe that it's just scary enough that you know you need to cry out to the Lord for help in the midst of it. So you know you're not alone. And that those we know and love most would know and love Christ. Father, we thank you for who you are, God, and I thank you that as we talk about what it looks like to live beyond the five thresholds, Lord, I pray that some of us, we're, we're still praying for that person to come to even trust us. And so thinking about walking through all the thresholds and beyond the thresholds, that might feel like a lot right now. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage for where we are now and where our friends or family members or coworkers or classmates, where they are in their walk now, help us to walk with them. Lord, I pray that we would never give off the vibe that people are projects. But rather, Lord, that, that people are so valuable that you sent your son to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death, and to be raised to new life and to invite us into new life, that you saw the value in each and every one of us, not because we've earned it, but because you've given it and we can receive it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know um, how to come alongside those we know and love most, to help establish rhythms and habits in their lives so they would have a foundation to know and love Christ for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, we're prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.